as welcome as he comes. Thanks. I love you, man. Thank you so much. Hey, good morning. Okay, Uncle John's in the house. Get up. You guys know I don't preach without praying, right? Hey, it's good to be here. It is, uh, I, I, you know, it has been 15 years. And uh, the love, respect that we have for Pastor Mark, Pastor Tasha is just through the roof. Addison, you're the one that introduced me. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, so honored to be here with you, son, and really, really excited about the fruit that has resulted from your ministry Friday night and yesterday, and I know will continue tonight. Uh, people were talking still last evening about what happened Friday evening, so don't forget you got to send me that link. Um, you, you can see our family is put up here behind us. This is actually an older picture, and we need to get the new one up because our youngest or our third-born son, Alec, he's the one in the white shirt, just got married two weeks ago. It's an absolutely magnificent wedding. He married a girl from down under. She is absolutely delightful. Her dad's a pastor and her mom's a pastor in Australia. And so uh, you see the four little ones, those are Addison's children, so they're my G-babies. Why do you call them a G-baby? Because I'm way too young to be grandpa, so I'm G-daddy. So anyway, we had a brand new G-baby last year. Here she is. All right, now her name is Scarlett. Do you see that her eyes are like looking right into your soul? This girl is going to be something to raise. But anyway, we have another one due. His name's going to be Azariah this month. So we, we're at six here. Uh, I told all of our sons, sons they need to have at least four each. Addison's done his job, so the rest of them need to do theirs because <clears throat> we want at least 16 G babies. But anyway, it's an honor to be here, and I want to thank you. You've got such amazing leaders. Um, we have partnered together for years. You may not know this, and I want you to understand the type of leaders that you have. Um, they have recognized the calling of God to disciple the nations. And together we've partnered, and we have been able, with other churches, other businessmen and women, to now give over 50 million physical resources to pastors and leaders in 228 nations, in 118 languages. And um, it's just been really exciting to see the fruit of it. Um, it's mind-blowing. I could stand here and talk to you about it for hours and hours and hours. But all that to say... Because you're faithful members of this church, you're faithful tithers and givers, you're going to see so many people that you impacted at the judgment seat that will absolutely blow you away. And I just want to thank you for doing that, for loving people you'll never see. You know, Jesus said when you throw a banquet, invite those that never can repay you, then you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so I want to thank you all for that in advance and just say how, how touched I am that you guys have done this. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Thank you, Pastor Tasha. Uh, this morning, I want to share with you, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a weird situation I'm in. Um, I'm finishing up a book right now for HarperCollins Publisher that's due this Friday. Um, I'm so overflowing with it right now, I literally exploded. I was all over the place with the men yesterday exploding on it. This morning, I feel, though, that God has put something in my heart to bring to the Church of America, and I'm feeling up at the tail end of the season. But I, I really believe this word is needed if we're really going to see a move of God in society. I believe the next move of God is going to happen outside the four walls of the church. I don't believe it's going to, I think the four walls of the church are going to expand because we're going to have to train people. We're going to have to bring deliverance to people. But I believe it's really going to happen in government, in business, in healthcare, in uh, it, well, all, all those different areas of life. And so I really ask 
that you would listen this morning carefully. I really believe this is a word from heaven. And I want to, I want to, I personally believe a person's life can be changed forever in one service. I know that because it happened with me. So we don't have because we don't ask. I could be the best communicator on the face of the planet. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't anoint these words, you're just going to get information. And so what we need is transformation. So what I want to ask is we just lift up our hands and we ask, Lord, Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for what they've done to impact the western slopes of Colorado. Lord, we're asking once again that you would invade this sanctuary this morning. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would do what you love to do the most, and that is to glorify Jesus. As you do, as you do this, may we go from glory to glory and from faith to faith and from strength to strength. For I decree that your kingdom has come, your will shall be done. In this place on earth as it is in heaven. And for this, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise, and the thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful, majestic, holy, awesome, magnificent name that we pray. And everybody that agrees shouts. Come on, give him praise. Come on, give him praise in advance for what he's going to do. Amen. You can be seated. All right. I want to open up by saying that in the church, and you know, I've this, I'm entering the four, four decades of ministry next year. And what I've discovered is we have done a really, really good job of identifying who we are in Christ. You know, it used to be that people considered believers as unworthy worms. I mean, can you believe it? The Bible says we're the offspring of God. I have never seen a thoroughbred racehorse give birth, birth to a mouse. The Bible says, beloved, now we are the sons of God, right? Now we are the daughters of God. So we've done a great job of that. The other thing that is equally important is what we're called to do in Christ. And I find that we don't talk about that enough. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And what's interesting is you hear Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 a lot, but verse 10 is left out. But it says, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then verse 10 says, for which four means, this is a conjunction. For we are his workmanship created in Christ to do something, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this morning, I really want to focus in on that. And I want to start out by highlighting what Jesus said. Jesus made this statement. He said, my food, now I want you to look at these words carefully. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, I want you to stop and think about this. What does food do? It strengthens you and I. Can you imagine going 10 days without eating and then trying to do eight hours of hard manual labor? It's impossible. In fact, let me say this. The number one cause of backsliding, and I'm, I'm going to say this. There's a lot of backsliding people that sit in the chairs of our church. The number one reason that people backslide is they disengage from what they're called to do. Now, what does it do? It, it weakens them. It makes them vulnerable. The backsliding appears in other areas, but the real root is they've disengaged. Because Jesus made this statement. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So that means that our food is to do the will of him who sent us. Now, I want to talk about this this morning and to really introduce what I want to share. I want to, I want to share a story with you that occurred with me about seven years ago. I was in Los Angeles. I was going to be speaking at the uh, LA Dream Center. And one of our partners who has significantly helped us in giving these books to these millions of pastors 
He saw that I was going to be there. He knows I love to play golf. So he said, hey, John, do you want to play Riviera? I said, absolutely. He said, fly in a day early and we'll play. So we played that morning. It was a fun round. We were going back to the hotel. And he said, John, can I just open up with you for a few minutes? Can I be a little vulnerable? I said, absolutely. He said, you know, I just turned 50 years old and I've really worked my tail off to build my businesses to where they are. He said, my net worth is over 9 million. My wife has cared for life. My children's cared for life. My grandchildren are cared for life. And then he looked at me and he said, why should I work as hard over the next 10 years of my life as I have the past 30 years? Now, I knew this was a moment and I knew what I said to him was literally gonna shape his life over the next 10 years and possibly further. So rather than just giving him an off-the-cuff answer, I looked inside and I said, Holy Spirit, I need your help really quick. And he gave me an answer. And I said, all right, Stan, here's what, here's what I, here's the way I'd like to answer that. I'm gonna answer it with a different story. I said, as you know, I've written at that time, it was 17 books. The books are in over 100 languages. I've gotten on planes and I have flown over 12 million miles. I have stayed as many as 229 nights in one year in a little 400 square foot hotel room. I said, I have eaten some of the craziest foods. I've experienced jet lag. I have eaten or um, encountered some of the most different cultures. I've stood on major platforms all over the world. You know, my wife's cared for life. My children are cared for life. Why should I get on another plane? Why should I write another book? Now he laughed at me. He laughed and you know what he said? He said, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes when you face Jesus. Can you believe he said that? <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, you have just set yourself up. And I said, Stan, you just said the exact same thing. And I remember, you know, we're in the downtown 405 in LA and the smirk leaves his face and he turns to me, he's actually mad at me. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, here's the deal, Stan. Every single person has a call of God on their life. And I said, with that calling comes unique supernatural giftings that gives us the ability to fulfill that calling. And I said, we can do one of three things with those giftings. We can use them only to benefit ourselves or our family. Or number two, we can use them as intended to build the kingdom of God. Or number three, we can just sit on them and do nothing. And I said, now here's the problem, Stan. You've connected my dots. You haven't connected your dots. I said, you see how my gifts of speaking and writing are building the kingdom of God. The problem is you don't see how your gifts are building the kingdom of God. And I said, Stan, in fact, your gifts are more valuable than mine. And he said, where do you get that? I said, the Bible says the parts of the body that are not seen are more important than the parts that are seen. I said, I have seen part. You have an unseen part. Your gifts are more valuable. Well, six months later, he calls me, right? He goes, John. I said, hey, Stan, how you doing? He said, you want the honest truth? I said, yeah. He said, I've been haunted every single day for the last six months by the words you spoke to me. I said, well, what are you doing about it? He said, I am busting my rear end to build my business up to 35 million so I can give more in the kingdom. Well, I got a text from him last year and you know how he signed the text? $70 million Stan. I'm so glad he got the message and he didn't chill out in his decade of the 50s. Now, to really, really introduce what I'm gonna share with you this morning, I gotta, I gotta elaborate on three very important words from scripture, all right? And so I'm gonna open up with Romans chapter 12 and we're gonna look at verse six and the first two words are found in this verse. Look what it says. It says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Everybody say grace. grace. Now the Greek word for grace is charis. Most Christians, in fact, I have a poll to back this up. 
And a poll was done throughout the United States. Over 5,000 Christians were polled. These are Bible-believing, Sunday morning church-attending Christians. And the question was asked, give three or more one-word definitions. The top three answers were salvation. I mean, think about it. When you hear the word grace, what comes to your mind? Salvation, a free unmerited gift, and forgiveness of sins. Now, I'm so glad that Americans understand we're saved by grace and only by grace. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. It is the gift of God, right? And that the grace of God forgives our sins. Thank God they understand that. But here's the tragedy of the survey. Only 2%, and the actual figure was 1.9%, said that grace was God's empowerment. Yet this is exactly how God defines his grace. Because he said to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he said, my grace is all you need for my power. Now notice God just identified his grace as what? His power works best in your weakness. What's your weakness? Your human inability. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter verse 1 says, grace be multiplied to you. Now look into this. As his divine power, that's grace, has given to us everything we need to live a godly life. So after years of studying the grace of God, this is my personal definition. It is God's empowerment that gives you the ability to go beyond your natural ability. I want you to write that down. God's empowerment that gives you the ability to go beyond your natural ability. Now, I'm going to tell you something about the call of God on your life that you may not know. You ready? You want to hear it? Okay, I'm glad. I'll tell you. It is impossible for you to fulfill what God's created you to do in your own ability. How do I know that? Because God said, I will never share my glory with anyone. Correct? So God makes your calling capable of being accomplished in your own ability. Then he'd have to share the glory with you. So God on purpose made your calling beyond your natural ability so you'd have to depend on grace to fulfill it. Now here's what's really scary. You can't have anything from heaven unless you believe. You cannot believe what you don't know. So if 98% of the Christians in America don't know that grace empowers me to go beyond my natural ability, that means 98% of the Christians in America are trying to fulfill their calling in their own ability. What do you call a human being's body that only 2% of it works? An invalid. Have you ever wondered why we have spent billions of dollars on churches, equipment, books, and yet we aren't seeing a move of God near what the early church had? Right. It's because we don't understand what grace is. Right. Sure is quiet right now. Let's go back to Romans 12. We'll look again. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Now, if you take the Greek word charis and you put an M and an A on it, you get charisma. What is charisma? What's the definition? It is a specific gift of grace that enables a person, go ahead and put it up there, to fulfill what they have been created to do. Okay? What would be some of the, let me, let me help you understand this. What would be some of the charismas on my life? Well, one would be writing. Okay? 
Yep, speaking, writing. Okay, what a lot of you don't know is that my very worst subject in high school was English and creative writing. I am not kidding. Very worst subject. It used to take me an hour to write a four-page, or four hours to write a one-page paper. And if you think I'm kidding, do you know what my scores were on the SAT in English? I scored 370 out of 800. Yeah, yeah, the teachers all know, okay? <laughs> 370 out of 800. Okay, let me help you understand, for those of you who don't know. In all my travels, I have met two human beings that scored lower than me on the English and the SAT. And one guy, because he guessed at all the answers, because he was so mad at his parents for making him take it that day. So when God came to me in 1991 and said, son, I want you to write, I'm like, okay, Lord, you have so many of us kids on the earth now, you're getting us mixed up with one another. You don't want me to write, talk to my English teachers. So I didn't do anything. I took his silence as an agreement to my rebuttal. So 10 months later, two women come to me from two different states in the United States, and they had the same word. They said, John Bevere, if you don't write what God's giving you to write, he's going to give the message to somebody else. One day you'll stand in judgment for it. When the second woman said it from the state of Texas, two weeks after the first woman from Florida, the fear of God hit me. And I remember I got a notebook piece of paper. I got a Sharpie, and I put contract on the top. I wrote a contract with God. I said, God, I think you're making a huge mistake. I can't write. You, so I need grace. And I signed the contract. And now today, the books are in the tens of millions all over the world in 129 languages. I mean, Lisa and I, people don't know, Lisa and I are the most published authors in all of Vietnam, both secular and Christian. And I can say that in, in about 30 other languages. We went to a conference, Lisa and I, to, in, in Korea. It was the first time we ever preached at a national, any conference in, in, in uh, Korea. It was a national conference in Seoul. I remember before the conference started, they said, hey, we want to do a, um, um, a press conference. I said, okay, sure. I'm thinking five, six reporters, right? I walk into this room. The TV lights are everywhere. There's TV cameras everywhere. The third largest newspaper in the nation's there. Five television stations, 32 reporters. I just sit there and look at these people. And the first words out of my mouth are, what are you all doing here? And they said, well, your book has been on the top 10 best-selling book list of Korea every single month the last two years. We want to know who you are. And so when I look at those books now, I realize I didn't write those books. The gift of God that has been entrusted to me wrote those books. Amen. Do you see what I'm saying? Another gift on my life would be, um, charisma on my life would be preaching, right? Now, what, what a lot of you don't know is that 40, 40 years ago when Lisa and I were first married, the first time she heard me preach after us being married, she was on the front row and was sound asleep within five minutes of my message. Okay, and, and I'm not kidding. I watched her head do this the entire message. Her best friend sitting next to her had drool coming out of the side of her mouth. She was in such deep sleep. I'm not kidding. Now I speak to 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 20,000 people. People say, do you get nervous before you speak to that many people? I go, no, not at all. They, go, they think I'm being arrogant. I go, they go, why don't you get nervous? I said, because I know how bad I am. If, if charisma doesn't show up, we're all in trouble. See, that that is the gift of God that he places on our lives. Are you seeing this? Amen. All right, now, one of the gifts that is not in my life is singing. If I got up here this morning and started singing with Jonathan, you all would have run out of the building because my family tells me to stop every time I sing. Isn't it true, Addison? 
It's true. Okay. So it's not one of the gifts of my life. Okay. So anyway, let's, let's go, let's go to the third word. All right. I've got two words established. I, I haven't even started the message yet. So let me just introduce it. Okay. All right. The third word I want to establish is in this verse, it's Paul said, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards. Everybody say stewards. All right. What is a steward? A steward is, is someone who manages what belongs to somebody else. Okay, what's the modern day example of a steward? Uh, the guy that takes care of my 401k. He is actually managing and has full authority over what I own. Now, one of the definitions of a steward is a steward is not micromanaged. I am not calling my 401k manager every other day saying, what are you investing in? To be honest with you, he's required by law to chase me down once a year and he has to do that because I really don't care. I know he's better than me and I don't even care about it. Another example would be Joseph in the Bible. He started out as a slave in Potiphar's house. He ended up being steward of his entire household. And you know what the Bible says? Potiphar didn't know what was going on in his house except for the food that was at his table. Joseph's managing everything he owns and he doesn't even know what he's doing with it. That's a steward. You got it? Now I'm going to bring you to a scripture that brings all these words together. You ready? Here's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Peter says, as each one. Now I want you to notice this. It doesn't say as each pastor. It doesn't say as each fivefold minister. As each one. If you're born again and you're filled with the Spirit of God, you have a gift or gifts. And that gift or gifts gives you the ability to fulfill what you've been created to do. See, here's the problem. We limit the gifts to inside the church. No! 99% of the gifts work outside the church. Amen. I mean, where, where, where you, somebody, well, 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 wait a minute. No, no, no. Romans 9 lists all the gifts. No, that's not all the gifts. It never says it's an exhaustive gift. Where, 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 where is Akiana's ability to paint the Prince of Peace at eight years old? That now is worth a million dollars. Where is that? In Romans chapter 9 or 12. Where, where, is, where is someone's ability to remove a tumor out of somebody's body and save their life? I mean, I remove, remove a tumor from you. We might as well plan the funeral. <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> but somebody with that gift, they remove it, you're, you're, you're good. See, see, these gifts work outside the church. To be honest with you, they're given for us to distinguish ourselves as sons and daughters of God. If you look at Daniel, he distinguished himself. Among all the government leaders of Babylon, the most powerful nation in the world, he comes out of this little podunk country and the king interviews him and his three friends and the king determines he's 10 times smarter, wiser, more innovative and creative than their best leaders in Babylon. Daniel comes up with ideas they've never thought of. He gets promoted till he's over all of them. The Bible says in Daniel 6.3, he distinguished himself. The gift of God, he distinguished himself. If you look at what Jesus says, he says, let your light shine that men may see your good works, that they're wrought in God, not hear your good scriptures. See, I read in the scripture that we're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. Hey, we all live in Colorado. We have never seen the tail of an elk leading its head. What am I saying? I'm saying that if, we're an, if you're an ER nurse, you should come up with ways of saving people's lives that is causing the doctors and nurses and staff of the hospital to scratch their heads and going, where's she getting this from? It's called grace. It's called charisma. 
If you're a third grade teacher, you're communicating wisdom and knowledge to your students that's causing the other teachers and the principal and the superintendent to scratch their heads and going, where's she getting this from? Grace, charisma. Are you getting this? But I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna blast a notion. I'm gonna blast a notion. You ready? Okay. You know what most Christians think? This is what they think. If I'm Christ-like, if I'm godly, the gift of God in me will automatically work. No. No, 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 no. The most godly person in the New Testament other than Jesus is a young man named Timothy. Paul wrote to the entire Philippian church and he said, I have never found a man more Christ-like than Timothy. Yet Paul had to write two letters to him later and say, Timothy, your gift, your God-given gift is inoperative. Engage it. So if being Christ-like automatically engages the gift. Timothy would have had it engaged to full potential. The fact is, it was inoperative. So just being godly doesn't engage the gift. And I'm not saying just, meaning it's insignificant. It's very important to be godly. It's more important to be godly, actually. But it doesn't engage your gift. See, are you here? This is why I'm saying, this is why we're not seeing a move of the Spirit of God. As each one, what, what happened to our scripture? Okay. Um, as each one has received a gift. Everybody say each one. Each one. Minister it. Now, you know, we get religious when we hear that. Use it. That's what he's saying. Okay. Don't, don't think of the word minister. That, 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 that's what causes us to bring it all inside the four walls of the church. Use it. Having gifts differing according to the grace of God that is given to us, let us use them. Okay? Use it. Minister it to one another. Now look at this as good stewards. Everybody say stewards. Steward. Everybody shout this. I'm a steward. I'm a steward. What are you a steward of? Charisma. Grace. It's good. It's, it, charisma is a form of grace. Okay? As good stewards of the manifold, you put all the charismas together and you get the manifold of grace of God. What does manifold mean? It means many-sided. Okay, it means like there's a lot of different manifestations of charisma. If you look at a human being's body, you have many, many different members. They study this body for eight years. They still don't even understand it all. All the members have different abilities. In other words, my fingers can do things. My eyes can't do. My eyes can do things. My toes can't do. My toes can do things. My liver can't do. My liver can do things. My spleen can't do. And on and on and on. Happy is the man or woman who knows their gift and operates in it. Miserable is the man or woman who tries to operate in somebody else's gift. Wouldn't it be really weird today if when I woke up, my thumb said, I've had it, Matthew, you've been preaching for 35 years. I'm preaching to new creation. Or my toes did the same. I mean, what, what, what just happened? I made you all uncomfortable. <laughs> my thumb got uncomfortable. This is what happen when, happens when you try to operate in somebody else's gift. You make you uncomfortable and everybody around you. That's what happens when I try to sing. <laughs> Got it? All right. Now, I can bring the message. I've introduced the three words. Are you ready for the message? Amen. Good morning. Nice to be here. Okay. All right. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Let a man so consider us the servants of Christ and stewards. Everybody shout stewards. Okay. Why do I have dot, dot, dot? Because Paul talks about his specific charisma. Now, I want to make mention of that. Do you know what Paul said if I don't operate in the charisma? Do you know what he said? Woe is me. 
You can't pronounce a higher form of judgment on yourself than woe when writing the scripture. Why is he so serious about this? Because he realizes that he's been entrusted with something that's God's ability. And if he doesn't do it, the people that God intends to get it through him don't get it. If you don't operate in your gift, that means the people that God intended to get it won't get it. Still with me? That's how serious what I'm talking to you about this morning is. All right. Moreover, it is required in a steward that one be found what? Say it stronger. There's one requirement of a steward. One. Faithful. Okay, now, what, what comes to your mind when you hear the word faithful? What's, what, what comes to your mind? I've asked leadership teams all over the world this question. Okay, good, consistent. I'm, I'm going to give you a list of what leadership teams have told me over 12 years of asking. Steadfast, consistent, dependable, reliable, loyal, true, trustworthy, devoted, truthful. There's some outliers, but these are the major ones. And they're smart because if you go to the thesaurus, you'll find all these words as synonyms of faithful. Here's the tragedy. In 12 years of talking to leadership groups, I've never once heard one person give me one of the most important definitions of faithful, and that is multiplication. Say, what? Multiplication? Multiplication's not a definition of faithful. Oh, yes, it is. No, it isn't. Noah Webster didn't say it is. Well, he should have because he was a Jesus follower. But Jesus defines faithful as multiplication. You say, where, where do you get that from? From the parable of the talents. Let's, let's read it. I want you to see it. I'm going to go through it really quick. Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants. And he delivered his goods to them. Now, do you understand that he is giving what belongs to him to these servants of his to manage while he goes on a long trip? Got it? Because long trip is emphasized twice here. And back in those days, they didn't have texting. So that means he can't micromanage them. He's entrusting. Gosh, if you only realize the seriousness of this. Are you getting this? Amen. All right. I'm going to personalize because he, he, Jesus identifies three of the servants. There's, there's, you know, all of us. There's many of them. But he identifies three. So I'm going, to, I'm going to put names on them to make this a little more real. All right. So Ashley, I'm going to say she gets three, or excuse me, five talents. Now, what is a talent? A talent is simply a bag of silver. And some translations say this, and it's actually a better translation than talent. It's a bag of silver. It's about 75 pounds of silver. Okay? Now, in parables, listen to me carefully. How many of you know Jesus is never really talking about what he's talking about? Correct? Okay? Like wheat is word and seed, or uh, no, seeds are word, the word. Wheat is good people, tares are bad people. He's not talking about bags of silver. What is he talking about? What are we stewards of? <laughs> Please tell me. Charisma! Grace, that's right too. Okay, everybody say charisma. charisma. So Ashley gets, why are we there? Okay, Ashley gets, stay with me. <laughs> Ashley gets 
five bags or five charismas. I'm going to say it that way, all right? Dave gets two, and if your name's Larry, no identification intended, Larry gets one. All right, now he goes on the long trip, and what happens on the long trip? Next, Ashley multiplies hers, her five into ten. Dave multiplies his, his two into four. Larry maintains his one. Now, after a long time, the master comes back, and it's judgment day. Don't let judgment day scare you. It just means that's the day you get an account and look at it like a rewards of ceremony, okay? All right, so... It's judgment day. They're called to give an account. Ashley and Dave come forward and say, hey, we multiply what you entrusted to us. Watch what Jesus says. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, if, if that's all he said, then I cannot say that a definition of faithful is multiplication. But I want you to look at the three words highlighted. You were faithful. There is no other action or virtue described in these two servants other than the fact that they multiplied. Jesus didn't say that they were steadfast. He didn't say they showed up to church on time. He didn't say they volunteered in the church. He didn't say they were consistent. The only thing, and I believe this was done so on purpose, the only thing he says they did is multiply. And he says, you were faithful. He directly equates Multiplication with faithfulness. That's why Noah Webster blew it. See, when you speak and you say the word faithful to me, I hear multiply. I want that paradigm to change. Okay? Now we got, we got Larry. Okay? And uh, Larry who had received the one talent, here we go, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Problem number one, he doesn't understand the character of his, his, his master. That will keep you from multiplying. Then he said, and I was afraid. Number one reason you will not multiply is fear. Timidity or intimidation. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. I want you to notice the response of the master. But his Lord answered, and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Now, you know, one day I had to be honest. First of all, these words are in red, which means Jesus is speaking them and they're coming right from his mouth. And Jesus just put the word wicked and servant in the same sentence. And I know Jesus doesn't use words lightly, lightly like we do or flippantly like we do. And I, I remember that day, I said, I need understanding here. You just used the word wicked and servant. Now, you didn't say you wicked outsider. You just used the word wicked and servant in the same sentence. So I remember I, I started searching and this is what I discovered. I'm gonna do the easy one. Lazy means to shrink from or to hesitate from engaging in something worthwhile. We get that. What does the word wicked mean? It means possessing a serious fault and consequently being worthless in regard to our labor. So what is, what is this telling us? That God views those who multiply as good and faithful. God views those who maintain as wicked and lazy. Now, does that change your paradigm? I mean, we think I show up to service on time, I got my nice little business, we're making enough money to get by, I'm faithful. Run that through the filter. 
In other words, our calling is to multiply. What's the first commandment of God that when he put man on the earth? He said, be fruitful and multiply. He wasn't just saying have babies. He was saying, anything I entrust to you, return it back to me, multiply. It is a wow. So here you got a very kind, godly man named Timothy who's Christ-like in his behavior. But Paul has to write to him twice and say, engage your gift. And if his gift's not engaged, that means he's not fulfilling his potential calling. Think about it. And in the second letter, Paul made it the first thing he talked about. Timothy, I've said this to you once before. We got to deal with this. Is this sinking in? Amen. Okay, it's going to get worse. Look at the next verse. So take the talent from Larry and give it to Ashley, who has 10 talents. Okay, now, I, I sat down and I put this down on a piece of paper. I thought, Larry starts out with one and ends up with zero. Ashley starts out with five and ends up with 11. Now, let me, that's, let me give you the backstory, okay? Why in the world was I doing this? Because here's the backstory. About seven, six years ago, I come in from prayer. I, I, I like praying outside. I come in from prayer one morning, sit down at my desk. My Bible's sitting there, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me so clearly. And he said, son, the way I think lines up more with capitalism, not socialism. Right. Amen. Now, a couple things here. If you walk out of here and you say, John Bevere said God's a capitalist, you just lied about me. <laughs> Listen to what I said. God said, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. Right. Listen to what he said. The way I think lines up more with capitalism, not socialism. Secondly, why does he have to say this to me? Because prior, I thought the way God thought lined up more with socialism. And I remember when God said that to me, I said, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that anywhere, especially in an election year. And it was an election year. It was 2016. I said, I'm not saying that. I said, unless you give me scripture, I'm not saying that. So he said, read the parable of the talents. So when I get to this verse, I went, wait a minute. Larry starts out with one, ends up with zero. Ashley starts out with five, ends up with 11. Then the Holy Spirit speaks to me. You ready? He said, son, can I show you what the hypothetical socialistic thinking God would have done? I said, okay. He said, I would have given them each three. He said, now, Ashley and Dave would have been faithful. So they would have made their three into six. Lockdown Larry would have maintained his three. Right? Okay, you got it? He didn't say that to me. I added that. So, so let, let's put the math up there, okay? Then he said, I would have taken, this is what the hypothetical socialistic thinking God would have done. He would have taken one from Ashley. He would have taken one from Dave, given it to Larry. So they all ended up with five. Hit the button, please. Thank you. No, Ashley ends up with 11. Larry ends up with zero. Listen to me, church. God never said, take care of the lazy. He said, take care of the poor and needy. And there is a huge difference. Yeah. Wait a minute. He did say something about the poor or the lazy. He said, they're not even supposed to eat. 
So don't feed them. Now, I'm not talking about unbelievers. Feed them. I'm talking about believers. Sure is quiet in this Methodist church. Okay, it gets worse. I said it gets worse. It, it actually gets worse. You ready for the next verse? You ready? I know, this is really amazing. All right, where am I? I'm, I'm way, way ahead of myself. Okay, next verse, you ready? For to everyone who has. Okay, now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not read it out of context. This parable is all about multiplying. For to everyone who multiplies, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. He or she will have an abundance. But to him who maintains, even what he has is going to be taken away. So I shared with you how writing was my worst subject. I write the first book, sells hardly anything. Second book, I write a second book. You know, it took me a year to write that first book. And we're birthing a ministry. And I don't have time to give to writing a book. Second book, I write it. It sells hardly anything. Third book I write is this book called Beta Satan. It sells, it sells over, I, 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 I'll start, my mind will go with your music. Your music's beautiful. But I want you, can you stay up there for a few minutes? Okay. So sorry, it's all my fault. I should have told you before service. Okay. Where was I? I got to get back. Okay, so Beta Satan, it, it, it sold now, I think, over 3 million copies, right? So it exploded. But at the same time, a frustration was birthed in me. Because I'm going into auditoriums, and I remember one specifically. There's 10,000 people in the auditorium. This was in 1996. And I spoke on the Bay to Satan, and 80% of the people stood up in the arena. It was the Oral Roberts uh, Maybe Center. Stood up in the arena, and then we only sold 700 books. I was so upset. I said, most of these people only got one chapter, because I can only preach one chapter. So only 700 people got the full man. So, so, so the frustration led me to multiply because I started praying. God said, create a curriculum. And so we started creating curriculums and you've used them here in this church and the curriculums have been used by over 25,000 churches in America as of 2010. And so I come into 2010, I play golf. It's Memorial Day. I go down to my basement. Lisa's not around. The boys aren't around. The Holy Spirit fills our basement. And this is what he said. Son, you have been faithful with the English-speaking community. In other words, you've multiplied what I entrusted to you to the English-speaking community. I didn't even know faithful meant multiplication. This is where it all started. I, I was like you. I never thought the word multiply and faithful were the same. But, but, but the Spirit of God fills my basement and said, you have been faithful with the English-speaking community. What did I do? Multiplied the messages, the books, the, the curriculums, right? He said, I want you to get your messages into the hands of every pastor in the world that can't afford them. I'm like, whoa, what? So then we start giving books. It starts out with 270, 1,700 the first year in 2011, but it goes up to six to eight million a year now. And now we just passed 50 million physical resources given pastors and leaders all over the world. I have, a, I, have a friend, I have a friend named Mike Rogers, and I, I called Mike three times to make sure I got his story straight. Mike said to me, he said, John, I was saved. I became born again at 11 years of age. And he said, I was a fruitful Christian, fruit, excuse me, a fruitless Christian for 24 years. 
He said, when I was 35, I was fed up with being a fruitless Christian. That's exactly what he said to me. I said, well, what did you do about it? He said, I memorized 2,000 scriptures in six months. Smart man. He sharpened the axe. Wisdom of God sharpens the axe. Cut down more trees. Said, while, while that six month was going on, I go to Pastor Tommy Barnett's leadership conference. He said, I was so broke, financially broke, I had to live in a two-bedroom apartment with 11 master's commission students. Okay? He said, I'm in the conference, and Pastor Tommy said, I want you all to pray about what God wants you to give in the offering. So he said, I go find a cactus in between services. And I said, God, will you get under the cactus? What do you want me to give? And God spoke to him and said, I want you to give $200. And Mike's response to the Holy Spirit was, that's every penny to my name. That's all I got. And you know what the Holy Spirit said back to him? This is amazing. He said, Mike, I'm not asking you for any more. So he gave everything he had. He said, John, I had to bum gas money just to drive home. He said, I get home and God starts giving me ideas. This is the way multiplication happens. He said, I started just doing the ideas. And he said, I started making money. I started feeling, hey, I'm going to tithe $100 above my tithe. I'm going to give $100 above my tithe every month. He said, so the first year I did it. He said, the the next year I felt, give $400 above my tithe. So he said, I did it. Next year was $1,000 above his tithe every month, so he did it. Next year was $2,000 above his tithe every month, so he did it. Next year was $3,500. Next year was $5,000. Next year it was $10,000. And then he said this to me on the phone. He said, then it kicked in, John. I said, bro, it's already kicked in in my book. (laughs) The next year was $17,000. $17,600. I don't know why the $600. Every every month above his tithe. Next year it was $25,000. Then it went to 35,000. Then it went to 50,000. Then it went to 100,000. Then it went to 150,000 every single month above his tithe. I just said, Mike. Now, Mike's in his upper 60s now. I said, Mike, how much do you live on? He said, it's really interesting you asked me that. My bookkeepers who have done my books for years, he said, just told me that I have lived on 10 to 15% of my income. In other words, he gives 85 to 90% of his income to the kingdom. And you should see how really good he lives on that 10 to 15%. What's his gift? Multiplication. Or, or excuse me, what's his gift? It's giving. And he's multiplied. What was, what was my gift? Teaching and preaching. Multiple. What's your gift? Serving. What's your gift? Welding. What's your gift? Being an ER nurse. It goes on and on and on. Why are we not standing out as lights in a lost world? Because we've been religious because we believe part of godliness was being having, having, not standing out, not rising above, not being the head. And it's just a lie of the enemy to keep the church from growing. Did you get something out of this today? Did you get something out of it? Amen. I want every head bowed, every eye closed while I tie my shoes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And sis, you can help me now. Thank you so much. <clears throat> All right. I just want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. There are people in here that what I'm about to say is the most important thing you're going to hear all morning. So I don't want you to take lightly what I'm about to say. The only way you can ever multiply like I've just discussed 
is if you have an authentic relationship with our creator. Now, I personally believe that one of the things that has kept people from having an authentic relationship with our creator more than anything else is our standard sinner's prayer. And the reason I believe that is people can come up, pray that prayer, and still have a bunch of other lovers that are offensive to God in their heart. The New Testament calls Jesus the groom, and it calls the true church the bride. Paul the apostle writes in Ephesians 5 that a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, the two become one, and then he said this is actually an illustration of the way the church and Jesus are one. God gave us an illustration, an illustrated sermon that we see every day, how a man and a woman are joined together and become one. Now, when a bride on her wedding day puts on that white dress and she walks down the aisle of the church, she's communicating something very significant. She's saying goodbye to about 3.9 billion guys. What she is saying is, I am giving my entire heart and life to this one man. She breaks off all other relationships and she makes a commitment not to develop any new ones. It doesn't make her a perfect wife the first day, week, year, or 50 years. It just means she's given her entire heart. There are people that sit in our churches in America. They attend church, they pray to formula prayer, and they think they have a relationship with God, but they don't. There are a multitude who are one day going to hear Jesus say, depart from me. But we called you Lord, but we prayed a sinner's prayer. But we went to a church that did many wonderful things. I don't even know who you are, Jesus is going to say to them. Because they never gave their heart to him like a bride gives her life to a man, her husband, on the day of marriage. Some of you are sitting here right now. You come to church because nice people are there. You hear inspiring messages. It's a good atmosphere. But I need to ask you something. Do you have a relationship with our creator? Have you given your life to Jesus the way a bride gives her life to a groom on their wedding day? If you haven't, you don't have a relationship. That's why some of you feel like you're on the outside looking in. You can't understand how somebody can be so passionate and excited about someone they don't even see. It's because he's more real to us than what you see. So I'm gonna give you a chance. God gave something to human beings and it's called a free will. And he made a decision that he would never violate that will. And even though not receiving him results in an eternity of burning in a lake of fire, being eaten by worms. Because that's the punishment of the enemy. And the enemy is the one that seduced mankind. And Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. And he came and he was beaten. He was spit on. He was punched in the face. His beard plucked out. He had whips coming across his, his back. And God hung on a cross because of how important, how much he loves you rescuing you out of the grips of darkness. But he's not going to violate your will. He loves you so much 
that if you choose to be separate from him, then he'll protect your right. Don't wait till tomorrow because right now, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, let me tell you something. You'll walk out of this building in an hour, you'll be fine. But the only thing is next time it'll be harder for you to hear. Because the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, right now, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I just feel right right now, there's some people, you're, you're in a really critical place. And that's why I'm taking the time to do this. If you're here and you say, John, I have not given my life to Jesus like a bride gives her life to the groom, and I want to do it. I couldn't wait till you were done. Then throw up your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, put them up high. Lots of hands. Put them up really high. Really high. No bride's ever been ashamed. Only those that say, I'm, I'm going to receive him. Put up your hands really high. Okay, if your hand's in the air, I want you to stand up. Just stand up right now. I want to pray for you. Is there anyone else? I want to make sure nobody's missed. Yes, sir, you were worth the wait. Thank you for standing up. Anybody else? Anyone else? Yes, sir, you were worth the wait. I'm so proud of you. Anyone else? This is not the time to think. I wish this guy would hurry up and finish up. This is not the time to think. I wonder if so-and-so is going to stand. This is the time to examine yourself. I'm just going to give you another minute because I care enough that I want to give you time. Yes, sir, you were so worth the wait. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, yes, you were worth the wait, sir. All right, this is what I want you to do. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit dealt with you about, break up with your chair. Break up. In other words, say, I'm done with you. This relationship's over. I'm giving my entire life to Jesus. And I want you to slip out into the aisle. Every one of you that are standing, slip out into the aisle. And I want you to come down here. And I want everyone else to give them an applause. And really give them applause for what they're doing. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hey. Hey. So proud of you. Hey, come here. I'm so proud of you. Come here. Come on. Come on. Come on now. I'm so proud of you, man. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Hey, your life's never going to be the same. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Hey, man. I'm so proud of you. Come on, give him a hand. Not a patty cake. I'm so proud of you. 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 Hey. 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 All right, look at me. Why do you guys have such sad looks on your face? This is like the greatest decision you've ever made. Y'all should have a big smile. I mean, I mean, I mean, you never, you never see a bride walking in going, oh my gosh, I'm getting married to this guy. I mean, she's excited. She's got a big smile on her face. And if you could see Jesus right now, he has the biggest smile on his face because he's so in love with you. What's your name? Because Christian, he's been, he's been after you. He just sent this boy from Tennessee to just come after you this morning. After you. What's your name? Junior. Love it. I'm a junior. After you. Keith. Look at me. Look at me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Everybody stand up. This is too important. Just bow your heads here. Just bow your heads. Okay, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a glimpse. Okay, I'm going to ask him. I just want you to close your physical eyes. 
and I want you to look inside. If you can see him and you may get a glimpse, you notice that he doesn't have a frown on his face. He doesn't have a scowl. He's not angry. Do you see a smile? I see it. See that smile? It's actually a jovial smile. It's not just a smile. It's almost like he's laughing. He's so happy. See his eyes? His eyes are so full of life and their focus is you. And he is so delighted. See that? Lift up your hands now. Come on, just lift them up. (laughs) Now I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to touch you. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, Master, touch every single one of them and show them Jesus. Oh my goodness, he just came here. Okay, there's his presence right there. A little softer. There's his presence right there, but I want you to keep going. There he is. He's here. Now speak to him. I want you to say these words. Say them out loud. God, my Father, forgive me for living life my way. Apart from you, my creator, I'm so sorry. But I'm changing that today. This day, I give my spirit, soul, and body everything I have everything I am to you, Jesus. Jesus, you're now my Lord, my bridegroom, my king forever. My life is completely yours. Thank you for forgiving me, changing me, and receiving me into your family. Keep your hands lifted up. There's his presence right there. There's his presence. You're being cleansed. Cleansed by the presence of the living God. The blood of Jesus is washing you, thoroughly cleansing you. All things have passed away. Old things are gone. Everything's brand new. There's his presence right there. Now just thank him. Just thank him. Wow. Right now, if you're in here and you'd say, John, I'm a believer, but I'm not multiplying. And I'm ready to ask God for the grace to multiply. Lift up your hands. I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see their hands are lifted. You said that we are to come boldly to the throne of grace, to obtain grace to help in a time of need. Our nation, our state is in such need. We're asking, Lord, that you'd give us the grace to multiply to make an impact on our society that will change this nation, change our city, change our state. And we ask this in Jesus' name.
Father, I bless every family, every individual that is committed to serving you. Bless them. Make a distinction between them and those who have refused you. That in hopes that, Lord, those that have refused you will come into your kingdom because you died for all and you love all, but you won't violate their wills. Thank you, Lord. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give him praise.